We love stories about answered prayer, don't we? I mean, we, we just get a thrill when we hear uh, accounts of God's miraculous interventions in people, people's lives, and it, it motivates us to, to be more diligent in prayer. So we pray, we're specific, we're confident, we're bold, we're absolutely convinced God will answer. And, we, you know, in those times we begin to feel this level of faith and enthusiasm that we've never experienced before, and we're motivated to pray by answered prayer. You know, when, when I've been praying for somebody who doesn't know the Lord and then I get that phone call and they say, hey, I just needed to tell you today I decided to give my life to the Lord. You know what that does? It motivates me to say, man, I'm going to keep praying for other people that need to know the Lord. Or, or if I'm praying for about this important decision that I need to make and, and then I begin to sense God's direction and his wisdom and I begin to move in that wisdom and, and I see his hand at work, then I become motivated to pray all all about the about all the decisions that come to my way and when, when I pray about a need that cannot be met by any human means and God meets it through his uh, mir miraculous working uh, and his mir miraculous power I'm motivated then to get on my knees and pray for all kinds of needs whether they're personal or ministry related or global or whatever it is because answered prayer really motivates us but the contrast is this it's easy for us to let our prayer life slide when we're praying diligently and fervently and trustingly and it doesn't seem to make any difference. Have you ever been in that place in your life? Have you ever been to the place where you're praying and it seemed like your prayers got up to the ceiling and bounced off and just kind of landed on the floor and you just wondered, you wondered to yourself, is, is God even listening? Is he there? What, is this making any difference? Because it seems as if he's silent even though we're asking and seeking and knocking and the thing that we want does not materialize and our zeal is crushed and we we wonder what happened sort of like ted turner most of you here you know who ted turner is and uh he, he did I, you may not know he had a strict christian upbringing and at one time he actually considered becoming a missionary he said that he was you know like a lot of church kids he was saved seven or eight times you know, when I was growing up, every time an evangelist came to church, I think I got saved every time, you know. You know I didn't really understand the fullness of salvation at the time, but, uh, but, but the problem, what happened with Ted Turner is that he became disenchanted with Christianity after his sister died, even though he prayed for her. He went on and said that the more he strayed from his faith, the better he felt. It's a sad thing. Maybe not to that extreme, but maybe you felt like that too. God didn't answer your prayers the way you wanted, and you decided to back off of prayer and this whole faith thing. I've, I've known of, well, I'll, I'll get into that in a minute, but today we're, we're, we're going to tackle this issue because for every unanswered prayer or seemingly unanswered, because God answered, answers every prayer, by the way, every prayer you pray, he does answer uh, in, in one way or another. He, he might say yes, he might say no, he might say wait. Uh, but we're going to talk about some of those things this morning. But, but there are three major reasons why our prayers seem, seem to go unanswered or, or why we might get the, the answer no. Number one, the request may be inappropriate. Sometimes we, we have misguided requests. We make requests of God and, and it's something that he knows that will destroy us and he loves us too much to say yes. How many of you have ever said no to your kids because you knew the thing that they were asking for was bad for them? Yes, if you have never done that, I need to talk to you about what it means to be a parent. <laughs> because it doesn't mean you say yes to everything. You love your child too much to say yes to everything they ask for. So sometimes the request is inappropriate. Other times it's not the request necessarily as it's, as it's our motive for asking for it that's the problem. Sometimes our motives are selfish, but that's really getting into something we're going to talk about this morning. The second reason prayers go unanswered is that the timing may be off. You know, there are times when your request is appropriate and, and, and there's nothing going on in your life. It's a good request. But the timing is not right. Parents know that children rank the words not yet nearly as awful as the word no. Because to them it feels like a no. 
Because when they're very young, they can't understand the passage of time. They can't understand, well, if I can have it then, why can't I have it now? Sort of like I've always, uh, I've told this story before about Abby when she was very little, you know, two or, or maybe a little smaller. And I'd put her in the back seat, of the, in her car seat in the back seat. And she would get very angry because she wanted to drive. And I would tell her no. Well, guess what? That's not a, ne- a never that's a not yet, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen her drive. She's not old enough yet. It may become a never. Oh, I don't know. We'll see. She's not in here, so I can make that joke. And so if I want her to know I said that, I'll tell her. <laughs> but sometimes God just tells us he, he knows that, that what we're asking for, we're not ready for yet. So he says, just wait, the timing may off. But then the third reason is that there may be a problem in the life of the person who is praying. And and this is what we're going to focus on this morning because those other things, uh, you know, I can't really deal with them as as well. But this I want to focus on because the request may be appropriate. It may even be well-timed, but it is possible that something is wrong in our lives and there may be a roadblock between God and us. And so we're going to talk about seven roadblocks to prevailing prayer this morning. You ready? Two, two of you are ready. The rest, I don't give you ready or not. It's coming anyway. <laughs> so you may as well get ready. But the first roadblock to prevailing prayer is probably the most common issue. You ready for this? The, ro- the first roadblock to not having your prayers answered is prayerlessness. You know, that's what James said. In chapter 4, verse 2, he said, you do not have because why? You do not ask. I mean, how many times have you found it in your life? I don't think I'm the only one. How many times have you ever gotten to that place where you intend to pray about something, but you never actually get around to praying about it? How many times have you said to somebody when they said, I got this going on in my life, and you said, well, I'll be praying with you about it, but you never actually got around to praying about it? Any, anybody besides me in this room, has that ever happened to you? Okay, if your hand is not up, then I want to know your secret because I, I, I'm, that's, you're really good. You know, I, well, you know what it's like? You decide to pray about something. You, you add it to your prayer list or you tell a friend that you're praying about it and you almost pray about it. But even though you, you think about it from time to time, you hardly pray about it at all. Why isn't God answering your prayer? Because God's not answering your prayer because you haven't really yet prayed purposefully or fervently or expectantly. You know, people often attempt to address pressing needs in their life, you know, and they'll, they'll go to a counselor somewhere, they'll read self-help books, they'll claim the biblical promises, they'll practice self-discipline, they'll confide in Christian friends, they'll, you know, uh, 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 conform to different disciplines, they'll, you know, like submission or self-denial, they'll, they'll even fast like what we've been doing, or, 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 or they'll read books about prayer, and yet their need is still met. And I, I say to these people sometimes, I say, look me right in the eye and tell me if you've prayed about this fervently and regularly over a, an extended period of time. And usually they kind of stand there and sort of shift from one foot to the other and finally say, uh, well, uh, not really. Well, the question for you this morning is, when was the last time you prayed diligently over a period of time for your spouse, for your parents, for your children, for someone to come to know Jesus, for for peace in places in this world that are war-torn, for for a president of the United States, for, for the Democrats, they need our prayers. You know, how many of us, we just get mad at politicians and we, we never pray for them? I remember there have been so many times I would see some politician that, 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 that espoused policies that are anti-biblical and, and they just drive me crazy and, and I'd see them talking on television and i just get mad. Are there any other TV talkers in the room? Yeah, so, you know, it's like we actually think they hear us. You know, I, okay, let me, this is a side. How many of you talk to other traffic? while you're driving yeah you know they talk okay yell how many of you yell you you know they they can't hear you right you know that if they could hear you they wouldn't care right 
But we do that, you know, and I remember one time I was watching somebody, I'm not going to say the name of the politician because it's not about the person, but they were on the television and they were talking about something and they were making, I was just getting madder and madder and madder and I just couldn't stand it anymore. And, and, And in the middle of all my anger, all of a sudden the Lord showed up in the room and how many of you know that he has a way of just turning things around on you? And he said... And I was so mad at this politician, and he spoke to me and said, when's the last time you prayed for him? I said, oh, uh, (laughs) never. Never. You know, when's the last time you, you prayed diligently over a period of time that God's power would cause a revolution in Restoration Life Church? I'm not talking about a passing prayer here and there, but you devoted yourself to that and said over a period of time that you said, listen, I'm going to fast my breakfast every day uh, until this revival comes or whatever it is that the Lord lays on your heart. And you began to pray specifically and fervently and regularly for a revival, for a move of the Spirit. When's the last time that you that you prayed that God would use you for his glory regularly and fervently seeking the face of God? When's the last time you prayed for that like that? You know, how many of you know, uh, you've probably heard of, I don't even remember the name of the church now, but it's the world's largest church. I think it's still the world's largest church in, in, uh, in South Korea. And uh, for years... What you may not know is that church has been pouring itself into prayer. Beginning in 1978, every Friday night from 8 o'clock until 7 o'clock the next next morning, on Saturday morning, 10,000 people gathered in an auditorium and prayed that God would take the church's ministry by storm. And every Saturday night, several thousand people would go to a mountain that they called Prayer Mountain, and they would sit in the caves and pray uh, and, and isolate themselves and pray and seek God that, and ask Him to move and work in a supernatural way. Well, in 1978, the church was doing pretty good. It had 100,000 members. That was doing, that's pretty, doing pretty good already, right? But you know what? Ten prayer field let me try that again. Ten prayer-filled years later, the church membership was up to 450,000. Today, that church has more than a million members. See, here's what we, we, we forget. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. That's a huge difference. Are you asking God... To, to, to move in the situations that you're praying for, the things that you want to see change? Are you asking God to move in those situations regularly and earnestly and persistently? Because if you're the number one roadblock to not seeing those prayers answered is to not pray. Second roadblock. I know some of you, when you heard seven roadblocks, you're thinking, oh, good Lord, we're, we're going to be here forever. That's okay, we're fasting. So, <laughs> No, no, it, it won't go... Uh, uh, some of them are going to be much shorter than others. The second roadblock to prevailing prayer is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Isaiah 59.2 says this, your iniquities, that's a big word for sins, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Unconfessed sin cuts us off from the Father and isolates us from his power. Unconfessed sin cuts us off from the Father and isolates us from his power. Now, now I want to I say this as we get into this. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm talking about willful sin. I'm talking about when you know the Spirit has convicted you of something in your life and you have chosen to say, I'm not going to repent of that. I'm, this is what I'm talking about in, in our lives. When we, we live with that unconfessed sin and we hold on to it and refuse to deal with it, it cuts us off. Let, let, me, let me use this illustration to help you understand. Uh, because some of you, are, you're going through your life and you're living and you're not experiencing the power of God moving in your life and maybe this is the reason why. When I, when I was in high school, I took uh, several 
electronics classes, including uh, one semester of, I took radio and TV repair. Now do not bring me your electronics. I can't fix anything. Uh, I just took the classes, okay? And I might've been able to fix it then, but that, that knowledge is long gone. How many of you, you're like me, your memory leaks. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. The older you get, the more true that is. But one day I was in, in that shop class and I was uh, working on a small radio. And it was, a, it was a little radio that was run by a 9-volt battery. All right? Everybody knows the 9-volt battery, right? It's, it's not very powerful. Uh, in fact, if you, if you touch a 9-volt battery, if you short the two terminals out with your finger, you can't even feel the current, even though the current is shorted out and it's flowing. Now, you can if you put, touch it on your tongue, right? But you can't feel it on your finger. So I was working on this and I was using a power supply and I had the power supply uh, uh, set at nine volts DC. Now, because, you know, at nine volts DC, you, you don't even feel the current uh, in, on your skin because it's so weak. Uh, you don't even need to worry about the leads that you're touching. You can grab them, pick them up. It doesn't matter because if you touch the, the metal part, then it's not going to affect you at all. But I remember I was working on that and I realized I needed a tool from the tool bin and so I went from the, the bench to the tool bin to get what I needed. And while I was gone, somebody sitting at the table thought it would be really hilarious to switch it from 9 volts DC to 450 volts AC. You get the picture. So I come back, you know, I, get, I go get my screwdriver or whatever, and I'm like, doo, 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 doo. let me go back to my bench here, you know, and, I, and I'm like, okay, now let me, let me hook up this power supply, and I grabbed the leads of the power supply, expecting 9 volts DC, so I was not careful at all, and I grabbed the two, with, with each hand, I grabbed the two metal leads. I was awake. <laughs> Suddenly... I mean, it, it just is jolt. It, the only reason I was able to uh, get free because every muscle in my body locked up, but when it did, my muscle jerked and it pulled one of the leads out of the power supply. Otherwise, I don't know what would have happened, but it was happened just that quick and my, it burned spots on my fingers. I mean, it, I, I, it, my vision, it just went, and, and I had, man, did I have a headache the rest of the day. But here, here's what I want you to understand. If I had touched the insulated part of the leads, I would never have felt even just a tiny bit of the power that was flowing through there. The power was there all the time, but I only experienced it when I was not, in, when I was not insulated from it. Sin is like that insulation. It wraps us up and it keeps us. The power of God is there all the time. You're, it's not, you say, I'm not experiencing the power of God in my life. It's there. He's working. He's, his power is never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The power of God is still there. He's still active. But the reason it's not happening in your life might be that you have allowed unconfessed sin. You're holding on to something that he's telling you you need to confess, you need to deal with, and, and get under the blood of Jesus. And you're not feeling the power of God because you are insulated from the power of God. See, you know what sin does? Sin, it makes us, want, makes us want to run from God and it makes us want to isolate ourselves from other believers. Somebody that's dealing with unconfessed sin in their lives, they run from God. I mean, you, you, you see it in the scripture. Look at Adam and Eve. They had this great relationship with the Father they sin. And what happened? Somebody tell me what happened. They ran and hid. And that's what sin does. It, it, it makes us want to run from God instead of run to him. And, and it makes us want to isolate ourselves from the people of God because, because just being around them brings to the surface it, it causes the spirit uses that to deal with us and so we we don't want to do that we want to hang on to the sin so we avoid god we avoid the people of god and it pushes us away from the community of believers and being away from other christians prevents us from receiving the benefit of count of accountability and if we refuse to deal with sin in our lives then in that moment we are presumptuous if we expect god to answer our prayers 
David said in Psalm 66, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And if you're tolerating sin in your life, I'm here to tell you, don't waste your breath praying unless it's a prayer of confession. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is one roadblock. I'm not saying that if your prayer has not been answered that you've got sin in your life. There are preachers that would say that. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it may be something. And, and, if, and listen, it's not, I can tell you this. If you, if you are harboring sin in your life and it's separating from you, God, for you from God, you're not sitting there wondering, God, is, is there something going on? You know exactly right now what, what the Lord has already been dealing with you about. Anyway, but, but, but we need to come to him in repentance and receive the Lord's forgiveness, and then he'll listen to us as we pour out our hearts. Here's the third one. The third roadblock to prevailing prayer is idols in our hearts. You know, most people associate idols with little statues that are worshipped as gods or something like that. That's what we think of when we think of an idol or maybe a big idol. You know, places like, I know of a place in India where they have a temple built where they worship a golden monkey. <laughs> it still cracks me up. It just makes me laugh. Out of all the animals to choose, why would you choose a monkey? I don't, I don't understand. But, but let me tell you what an idol really does, what it really is in our, our lives. And this is how it plays out, at least in our culture. There are places around the world where they worship idols made of of gold and silver and that sort of thing. But in America, we, we do it a different way. Our idol worship looks a lot different. We still have it. We still have it. But, it, but in our lives, this is how it plays out. An idol starts out as a, as a desire, not necessarily a sinful one, but it starts out as, as a desire. And then that desire in our hearts eventually becomes non-negotiable. And we say, God, you can do whatever you want, but don't touch this. And when that happens, an idol is born. I want you to hear what I, uh, Ezekiel the prophet. I'm going to teach about this another time, Lord willing, but I want you to hear what Ezekiel the prophet says happens when we have idols in our heart. See, that's the thing. It's idols in our heart. It, 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 we're not talking about statues, but listen to what he says. Ezekiel 14, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? He said, listen, they've taken idols in their hearts. Should I, should I allow them to come and ask me for things? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his hearts and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him. Okay, so he's saying, I will answer you if you got idols in your heart. I will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. So what God is saying here is that when we approach God in prayer and we have idols in our heart, the only thing he wants to talk about is the idols in your heart. That's all he wants to talk about. So we go to him and say, God, I, I need such and such. Would you do this in my life? I really need some help over here. Lord, I have this financial need. Lord, I, I need somebody. Uh, somebody needs to be healed over here. And, and the Lord hears us as we come to him and says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, before we deal with any of that, let's talk about that thing that you're holding on to so tightly in your hand. Listen, we need to look honestly at our attitudes toward our careers, our possessions, even our family. What in your life has become non-negotiable? Is it safety? Lord, I'll do anything you want as long as it's safe. Is it comfort? Lord, I'll do anything you want as long as I don't have to get uncomfortable to do it. Is it your house? Lord, I'll do anything you want as long as, I, as long as I can keep this house. Is it your car? Is it your possessions? Here's a huge one. This is a really tough one for us to get over. What about your children? God, you can do anything you want with my children as long as they're safe. As long as they're healthy. As long as they're, you know, 
but well, listen, what if, what if it's part of God's plan to take your child into a nation where it's dangerous to preach the gospel and they preach the gospel in that, in that nation and they give their lives for the cause of Christ and as a, as a result of giving their life for the cause of Christ, a revival breaks out and people go to heaven. What if that's God's plan? Are you willing to say, God, do whatever you want with my child, even if it means that they're going to suffer for the cause of Christ in the land far away from me? It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. If there are things in your life that you're not willing to release to God, then maybe they're blocking your access to him. Maybe when you go to talk with him, all he wants to do is talk about the thing you won't let go. The fourth roadblock to prevailing prayer is unresolved conflict. Matthew chapter 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, I want you to notice something right there. It does not say if you have something against your brother. This is a whole different scenario. If you have something against your brother, yes, you should go make it right. But he says, if you realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Or, or chapter 6 of Matthew, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Boy, we don't like to claim those scriptures, do we? But make no mistake about it. Our relationships with other people affect our connection with God. The horizontal and the vertical are inseparable. If your horizontal relationships are out of whack, then I'm here to tell you that your vertical relationship is going to be out of whack. Things are not right. I'll say it this way. This is plain and simple. If you're not right with people, you're not right with God. And there's no point in trying to pray if we're engaging in ongoing conflict with a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, or a friend. God will listen when we confess the sins that drove you and the other person apart and you attempt to mend the relationship. Listen, I'm not talking about something that the other person is unwilling to, to deal with. I'm talking about something that you're unwilling to let go. And we understand it's not always possible to make amends. It's not always possible to bring peace to a relationship. It's just not. Romans 12, 18, Paul said, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, we know that it's not always possible. Sometimes I can do everything I can and I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to someone and try to live in peace with them and try to, try to restore a relationship. But, but if that happens, you know, sometimes the other person would rather continue the warfare than accept your apology. You can't control that. That's not what I'm talking about here. That's not what scripture talks about here. If that happens, then you just look deep in your heart and ask yourself, have I sincerely tried to restore the relationship or am I holding back? Was it a, was it a, was it a sincere apology? Was it really an attempt to bring re reconciliation or was it just something to make me feel better and so I could say, well, well I tried. Do you really want restoration or would you rather blame the other person and let the separation continue? Now, if your attempts at reconciliation have been wholehearted, if they have been honest, then I can tell you this, that at that point in time, God will not let the broken relationship stand in the way of your prayers. But if your reconciliation attempts have been half-hearted, if they have been self-serving, then I'm here to tell you this morning, try again, this time for real. Clear the horizontal so that you can go to him vertically. So, so that those relationships don't hinder your prayers when you're talking to him. Here's the fifth roadblock to prevailing prayer. This is a huge one, especially in our culture. James 4.3. Oh, the roadblock is selfishness. Selfishness. James 4.3. We read the first part of it earlier. You ask and do not receive because... We read the uh, first part of the chapter. He says here, you ask and do not receive because you ask 
wrongly, to spend it on your passions. So James said there, he said the first, he said, you you have not because you ask not. But now he says, when you do ask, there's a problem with the motive. He said, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You know, selfishness is a very, very common barrier between the Christian and God because there's often a confusion between wants and needs, between rights and favors, between justice and grace, between convenience and conformity to Christ. And what we end up doing, we often pray, in effect, Lord, keep me from trial or tragedy or pain. Lord, I don't want to go through any of those things, so keep me away from all those things. The problem with that prayer is that those are the very things that God uses as tools in our lives to really make us grow and become the man or the woman of God that he wants us to be. You do not grow the most in the easy times. You grow the most in the valleys. You know, I, I know it's hard to believe looking at me now, but I, I used to be in pretty good shape. <laughs> now I look at people say, you need to get in shape. I say, hey, round is a shape, you know, but that's a different, different issue. But I, I remember I used to go to the gym and work out with weights. And, and how many of you ever, ever worked out with weights? And then like the next day or two or three, you're really, really, really sore. You know, you know why that is? It's because when you're lifting those weights, you're actually tearing the muscle tissue down. You're breaking it up. And you go through that. As you break it down, then your body, as it begins to heal, it heals up stronger because it says, hey, I don't want that to happen again. Let's fix this uh, so it's stronger. So then the next time you go in, you have to go with heavier weights because you got to tear it down a little bit more. And it's in that process of going through the pain and the process of the tearing down of the things that need to be broken inside of you that makes you stronger. And it's very much the same way spiritually that as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to feel any evil but at the same time walking through the valley is not a fun experience and it's through those times that God begins to work he begins to strengthen you he begins to reveal himself to you in ways that you would not have known otherwise You begin to discover how much his strength can sustain you you begin to discover how deep his peace really is it's in those times But we want a convenient, happy, problem-free life. That's who we are. That's how we're wired. If you don't believe we're wired selfishly, then babysit a six-month-old baby. They don't care about how you feel. In fact, the general rule of thumb is if you're comfortable, the baby's not happy. It's a law of nature. Reminds me of a song written by Janet Paschal. It's one of my favorite songs that I've ever heard. It's called, If I'd Had My Way. This is part of this is what it says. The first verse of the chorus says, If I'd had my way about it, I'd have danced in grassy fields and fragrant meadows and risen in the morning just to hear the rob- robin's lovely melody. I'd have rested in wide spaces high above the hurting places and found a cross that asked much less of me, never sailed in raging wind or troubled sea if you thought it best to leave it up to me. Then the chorus says, but if I'd had my way, I might have been wading through the river when you wanted me to walk upon the sea. If I'd had my say, all of my wants and whims and wishes, you knew how weak how shallow I would be. You know, when I hear that song, it reminds me of a friend of ours. Uh, Julie and I are, were very dear friends with a family from Idaho. And uh, her name is Judy McClymans. Her husband's name is Lyle. They love the Lord so deeply and have even begun working and helping pastoring a little home missions church out in the middle of nowhere in Idaho. But, but to look at them, no, you wouldn't know where they came from. Uh, you may or may not know that that part of the country has a very, very high Mormon population. And as much as they want to say that they're Christian, when you look at their doctrine, it's, it's not. They, they don't believe Jesus is the one and only Son of God. 
That's not in their doctrine. But, but they were in a family raised Mormon. And they had a son named Steve. Steve, in his high school years, got saved. And, and you know, so many, listen, when a Mormon gets saved, they get saved. Because it is not easy to leave the Mormon church. Uh, there's a lot of social pressure. If you're, if, you have a, if you're a business owner and you leave the Mormon church, you better be ready because none of them are going to do business with you. But he, he, he got saved and he left the Mormon church. And I mean, he was on fire for Jesus and he prayed for his family. He wanted them to come to, to know the Lord. He prayed and prayed and prayed for them. Well, Steve uh, joined the, the army and, and he was stationed in Iceland. And he, and he was there, and he would just had barely arrived, hadn't been there very long at all. And, and just nobody really knows the fullness of what happened, but, but we know the, the, the basic details. That there's a, there was another soldier there that uh, he said he didn't know the gun was loaded, but he said, what would you, he pointed a gun in Steve's face and said, what would you do if I pulled the trigger? And then he did, and he killed him on the spot. Well, you know what? It was walking through that valley that Judy discovered the Jesus that Steve loved. And through his testimony and through the process of healing and, and beginning to, and, and finding Jesus and, 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 you know, that's a wound that you, this life is never the same. But she came to know Jesus and then her daughter came to know Jesus and then Lyle came to know Jesus. And the whole family got saved. And I, I hear that song. Matter of fact, I used to have a soundtrack to this song. I gave it to her because I said, you should be the one singing this song. Because if she'd had her way, Steve would still be here. But she might still be lost. Her daughter and her husband might still be lost. If she'd had her way, she would never have walked through the sorrow of all of that and the pain of all that. In fact, there's another part of the story that maybe we'll share another time. But she actually went and met with that boy's, with her boy's killer and looked him in the face and forgave him. If she'd had her way, life would have been much, much different. But it was through that, that sorrow, it was through that 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 deep valley that she had to walk through, that the Lord revealed himself to her. And, and see, that's what we've got to understand is that, is that sometimes if we, ha if we were to, to have our way in our selfish prayers, sometimes God says, no, I'm not going to give that to you because I have something better for you. It's actually better for you. You will be stronger. You will, you, instead of wading in the river, you're going to be walking on the sea if you'll let me do it my way in, in your life. You know, when Jesus prayed the model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, his first requests were that God's name would be revered, that God's kingdom would come, and that the will of God would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That does not sound like the self-centered, short-sighted prayers that we frequently pray, does it? And if God granted such patently selfish requests, we would quickly be spiritually destroyed. And if we pray selfishly, we can expect our spiritual life to stagnate. Hey, listen, if you're all about getting and getting and getting from God and not giving in your, your life, then don't expect to get answers to your prayers because the selfish request of self-absorbed people self-destruct in the presence of a selfless God. That's a great statement right there. The selfish request of a self-absorbed people self-destruct in the presence of a selfless God. Sixth roadblock to prevailing prayer is uncaring attitudes. In Isaiah 58, verses 3 through 9, the Israelites were wondering why God had not answered their prayers. They, like we have done, they had even fasted. They had humbled themselves, and they still couldn't get an answer. And here's what God told them. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. He's saying, listen, just because you're fasting, if you continue to do whatever you want to do and live the way you want to live and you don't include me in your life, he's saying that fast is wasted. Is, is the fast 
that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things that he said, but he's saying, listen, if that's all it is, you're missing the point. Let's read what he says. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide uh, yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your, then, if we do that, he said, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Boy, what a powerful scripture for us to read while we're fasting as a church because he's saying, listen, if you go through the motions of fasting but you continue to ignore the needs of people around you, if they don't matter, if you're not moved by the pain and the suffering of people around you, then he's saying your fasting is not going to make a difference at all. See, God is committed to developing a people who will reflect his character in this world. And his character always expresses concern and compassion for the afflicted. You know, there's an old cartoon uh, that pictures uh, uh, hundreds and thousands of people lined up just as far back as you can see. And it showed in there every person, you know, they have those thought bubbles that are on on little cartoons. And and, and every person in the cartoon was thinking exactly the same thing. There were these thousands and thousands of people and everyone was thinking to themselves, what can I do? I'm just one person. And it's easy to fall into that. But the truth is, if everybody would do something, then together we make a difference. And as just one person, you may not be able to change the world. You can't alleviate the poverty of George, I mean, of Marion. Sorry. (laughs) Got to get the zip code changed. You can't even do it in this city by yourself, much less the world. But you know what you can do? You can look for ways to care for people around you. You you may not be able to do everything you'd like for everybody in need. But as we've said before, do for one what you wish you could do for all. God loves each individual. So look for ways to love people around you. Find ways to love people on purpose. See, See, here's the thing. In our heart, we, we often, we feel love. We say, oh, I love people. I love people. But sometimes if we don't show it on purpose, they're not going to know it. I pray that we will be a church that is known for loving people on purpose. Get involved in caring for people for whom no one else cares. And if your ear is open to the afflicted, if you're paying attention to those that are hurting around you, if you're filled with the compassion of Christ, if if you've allowed the love of God to fill your life and you begin to, to care for the people around you and love the people around you, then God will keep his ear open to you. And then the final roadblock to prevailing prayer is probably the one that we most think of, and that's inadequate faith. James chapter 1 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that it will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let me ask you this. How often do we pray without really expecting anything to come from our prayers? You know, we don't really expect God to move. We go through the motions, and all the while, we don't believe that God's really going to answer our prayer. But listen, without faith, our prayer has no power. We need to believe that God is listening. We need to believe that he is at work. He may not do the very thing that I ask him to do, but I have to believe that he is at work. He's going to do something. He's answering my prayer one way or another, and that he's listening. See, faith is really an issue of trust. 
really is, is really an issue of trust. You know, people are often reluctant to put their full trust in God. Maybe it's because we can't see him. You know, but we put our faith in, in things every day. We trust people today without question, displaying a faith that God would, that God would love to receive from us. I mean, think about it. People go to doctors whose names they can't pronounce, receive a prescription that they cannot read. They take it to a pharmacist that they do not know. They get a medicine that they do not understand, and then they take it. Why is it so much easier to trust these unknowns than to trust a God who has always been faithful, who has never let you down, who has been loving in every single way in your life, who has been there day in, day out? Why, why is it so hard to trust him? We, we trust every day. When you drive down the road, you're trusting the person on the other side of the, the street to stay on their side of the line, aren't you? When you sat on that pew, you trusted that it was still, still solidly enough put together that it was not going to collapse when you sat down, right? If you didn't trust it, you wouldn't sit there. But placing our trust in anything other than God is sure to disappoint. And even the smallest amount of faith in him can move mountains. Mark 11 says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. In another place, Jesus says, he says, if you have faith the size of a, of a mustard seed. You know what that tells me? It's not about how much faith I've got. It's about where I place my faith. You can have small faith, but if you put it in a great God, then you can trust him, right? You see this? Because we, we get all worked up and say, oh, I got to believe, I got to believe, I got to work real hard at this. No, 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 no. It's just saying, okay, Lord, I, I, do, have, I do believe in you. I do have faith in you. I'm going to put my little mustard seed of faith in you, and, and I'm going to trust you to do whatever you can. And I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to trust you with it. That's what he's saying here. You know what? Before you get down on your knees to pray, before you, before you, uh, uh, you know, there's, you know, you go to visit somebody in the hospital, before you lay hands on them and pray, you, you need to do, do some things. First of all, you need to go to God's word and remember what he has done for his people. Remember the faithfulness of God. Trace the hand of God throughout history as he has intervened on behalf of his people time and 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 time again. Remind yourself of what he has done. Then I want you to do this, take the next step, and I want you to review his track record in your own life. Think about all the times in your past that you have been up against the wall and God has seen you through, that he's walked you through the valley of the shadow of, the, of death, that he has, he has met your needs when there was no other way that you could see it being met. When he has been there, he, is, he has been active in your life over and over and over again. And, and I want you to review that track record and look for evidence of the power of God. Look for evidence of the faithfulness of God. Look for evidence of his provision in your life. And then once you do that, you can tune your mind properly so that when you pray, you will have confidence in God's power and in God's faithfulness to do what really needs to be done in your life. When you pray, plan on seeing a mighty demonstration of God's power. Plan on it. Now, it may not. It may not look like what you, what you want it to look like because it may be that what you're asking for is something you're not ready for or something that would be bad for you. But you can say, I know God is going to do something. I know God's at work. For a lot of us, when we pray, our, our, our expector is broken. We don't, we don't expect anything. We just go through the motion, and then when, when God does come through, we're surprised. Like, really? God answered my prayer? That's awesome. <clears throat> expect God to move. Because you know that God wants to glorify the name of Jesus. 
If the truth were known, you and I are often the only obstacle standing in the way of receiving a desperately needed miracle. None of us can really understand how much God wants to change that impossible circumstance. We don't really know how much he wants to touch that untouchable person. We can't conceive how much he wants to move that immovable mountain in our lives so that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and glorified. You and I matter to him, and he wants to meet our needs. He wants to grant our request. He wants to do what's best for us and if we will free him to do it because we are sometimes the only one that keeps God from moving in our lives because the Holy Spirit never forces anything. He's not going to make you do anything. Developing an effective prayer life depends on keeping your relationship with God strong and uncluttered by sin and disobedience. Peter wrote this. He said, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's make sure that it were our, first of all, that we are in the right place with God. And if we strive for righteousness, if we live in obedience, we confess our sins to him, if we remain close to God, it's so important because maintaining our relationship with him is an ongoing process. Every day we need to wake up and we need to talk to God constantly. We need to say, Lord, reveal, reveal anything in my life that is hindering my progress in my walk with you. And, and how many of you know that sometimes that's not always sin? You know, what it says in Hebrews, it says, it says to, uh, to, to get rid of sin and every encumbrance, anything that hinders us from running the race. Sometimes what's hindering us is not a sinful thing, but it's just something that's slowing us down. We need to be like David where he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We've been studying David on Wednesday nights and we've seen how he overcame some horrible sins in his life to be close to God. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer, yet he humbled himself before God. He confessed his sins, and that allowed him to come into a close relationship with God, and it allowed him to keep growing and building his relationship with him. And David's a great model for us to follow. If God was able to forgive him, if David was able to still be called a man after God's own heart, he can do the same in us. He can do the same in us. If we are faithful, God will draw us close to himself and he will answer our prayers. Not always the way we want, but he will answer our prayers. Would you bow your head? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today.